Today's scripture we're going to be reading in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we can get one for you. Hebrews chapter 11. Bill's got it. We need two. Thank you. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to be reading verses 24 through 29. I'll give you just a minute to get there. We call this chapter the Hall of Fame of Faith People, Hebrews 11. We're going to be reading about Moses. All right, let's begin um, uh, chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. And if you would like to follow along with Pastor, remember you can use the life notes uh, for note-taking. Thank you. Thank you, Natalie. Well done. Hebrews chapter 11, as she said, is the Hall of Fame of Faith. And today we're going to be looking at the life of Moses because he definitely has something specific to say to each one of us and yet to all of us as well. Now, here's what must happen. For you to get everything God wants you to have out of this message from the Bible, you've got to decide which kind of a listener you are. You have two choices. You ready? Here they are. Either you are a Teflon listener or you are a Velcro listener. Now you see the difference, right? What happens when you put something on Teflon? Slides right off. But what happens when you attach something to Velcro? It sticks. So which are you going to be this morning? Let God's Word stick to you, get into your heart and your mind, your soul and your spirit, and not just slide away, because this is such a tremendous passage. It helps us to really know God's purpose and God's will for our life as well. So today in our series, Be Greater or Be Great, Be What God Made You to Be, we're going to see what God tells us about this man named Moses who added value to God's kingdom, added value to his family, added value to the people around him. Now a few years back, this whole idea of adding value came into play. In the business world, in interviews, one of the most important things was that the interviewer of the potential person on the team was to find out if they could add value to the company or devalue it because they weren't prepared or they couldn't perform or they didn't have certain skills or know-how or abilities or suitability, the ability to work with people. And in life, In family, 
in business, in the church, every person is designed by God to add value to your relationships. Not to devalue it by the way you act or say or or speak, that is, or the way you behave, but to add value to it, to make it greater than it would be if you were not there. On the other hand, if it's greater because you're not there, not a good sign. God wants you to add value wherever you go to become an unordinary Christian. Now, when you were born, let's just cover this ground a little bit that we've talked about before. When you were born, you were an ordinary person, just like everybody else. But when a man or a woman becomes a Christian, at that moment, you have the seed of being an unordinary person planted inside you. By God's Spirit, you have the ability, you're qualified at that point, to add value by being an unordinary person. It might even be, like Moses, that you move from ordinary to unordinary. You might even become extraordinary by your faith. That is entirely possible. And so God's word to us today is going to help us to become unordinary in a biblical sense, in a Christian way, and possibly by the time our life ends, we might be able to look back and say, God, thank you for helping me to become at least a little bit extraordinary and add value to all of those around me. So the Bible tells us to be great, to be valuable, and today we're going to look at one person's story, and of course you've already discerned that that person's name is Moses, and Moses' name actually means drawn. That's what it means, drawn. Moses was drawn, drawn from what? From the Nile River. You remember this amazing story of this little baby? The Pharaoh had said that all male babies were to be thrown into the Nile River. And so anticipating this, his mother put him in a little basket, put pitch around it and tar so it wouldn't sink, and set it off into the reeds of the Nile River, hoping that he would escape death. So a member of Pharaoh's family comes along and sees the basket. Her servants get it. They open it up and the baby cries. And the Bible says the woman in Pharaoh's family felt sorry for the baby. Now, in the meantime, the baby's mother had, been, had told the baby's sister to go watch what happened. His sister's name was Miriam. She was watching. She was a quick thinker. And so when she saw Pharaoh's family member looking at the baby and take the baby because he was crying, she ran over and said, would you like me to go uh, get somebody, somebody to nurse the baby, a Hebrew woman? And she said, yes. So who who does she go get? The baby's mother. So the baby's mother weaned the baby and then took him back to Pharaoh's family. And he was raised in Pharaoh's family. So they named him Moses because he was drawn out of the Nile, drawn out of death. And this is, by the way, a perfect picture of Christian conversion. Because no one can come to God unless and until you respond to being drawn by the Holy Spirit. 
God's Spirit draws all men to Him. There's nobody that God will not draw. There's no one God will not give a chance to hear the life-saving gospel of grace and invite them to make that decision. In fact, Jesus Christ Himself said, If I be lifted up, speaking of the cross, He said this in John 12, 32, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. What is the one universal symbol across the entire world that more people recognize than any other as being a signifying mark of the love of God? It's the cross. The cross draws men and women. The cross is God's magnetic power of ministry to reach out. To say, I love you this much. No one loves you like I do. And it is a compelling drawing factor of the Christian faith. And before any man can be changed, saved, born again, made like Christ, you must accept that invitation and be drawn to Him. Now God draws in many ways. He can draw a thousand ways. The main way is through Christ. But God draws people, for example... Through creation. Some people look at the stars and the sun and the moon and the constellations and say somebody had to create that. Other people are drawn by their conscience. Their conscience tells them there must be a God. There has to be a God. And then when they go against what they know is right, their conscience begins to act against them and draws them to God for forgiveness. Sometimes people's compelling consequences of sin draw them to God. They can't find relief. They cannot find forgiveness. They cannot exit the guilt in their life until they listen to God and come to the cross and bow down at that cross and say, I want to be forgiven and Christ will forgive them. There are a hundred ways a Christian can be the drawing power for an unbeliever. A church, a message, a song, a verse, a tract, a message... All of these things, hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of family, a man on the job, a woman in the office, a guy playing baseball on the field can be a drawing card. I've been told that Mickey Mantle the Great, who lived most of his life as a non-Christian, on the years he played for the Yankees, was influenced by Nellie Fox, the second baseman. And when Mickey Mantle's life was coming to an end, he called for Nellie Fox. Nellie Fox was faithful to his testimony and told him about Christ. And fortunately and happily for Mickey Mantle, he was drawn to Christ by Nellie Fox, that great second baseman. And we praise God that he was saved. I wish everybody could be saved. Don't you? What a world this would be if every man, when drawn by God's love, would come to Christ and accept Christ and be saved. Be born again. Have a new life. So Moses was drawn in God's purpose and plan. His life was saved by God. And he began, after that point, to live his life. Now, by the way, how long did Moses live? He lived three forties, 120 years. Now, you and I don't know how long 
our lifespan will be, do we? We just don't know. We know his lifespan because it's in the past and he lived it. Our life may be long or short. One man went to the doctor for an exam. The doctor came out with a sad look on his face and he said, I'm sorry, you don't have much time. The man said, I don't? He said, what do you mean? He said, well, how much do I have? He said, well, you have about 10. The man very excitedly said, 10, 10, 10, what do you mean? 10 months, 10 weeks, 10 days? And the doctor said, no, 10, 9, 8, 7. I mean, we don't know (laughs) how long we're going to live, do we? We just don't know. Moses lived 120 years, divided by three, four sections of his life. The first, as someone has well pointed out, many have as a matter of fact, the first 40 years of Moses' life was spent in Egypt. There he really thought he was somebody. But when it was found out that he was Jewish, he committed a crime against one of the Egyptians. He was banished into Midian. And for the next 40 years, he discovered that he was not somebody, he was nobody. But then God reached down and drew him one more time. He drew him out and he became for the next 40 years somebody. 40 years thinking he was somebody, but he wasn't. 40 years learning that he was a nobody. And the next 40 years learning how God can take a nobody and make a somebody out of them. This is what is called being a great, unordinary, and in his case, extraordinary human being because of God's power and God's grace. Now, as Natalie read that great account in Hebrews chapter 11, I think it's well worth reading one more time. Take your Bible with me, please, and look there in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's review this great passage one more time, and we'll look at it carefully and let it speak to us about our life as well. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning there at verse, well, we'll look at verse 23, 2. By faith Moses, I'm sorry, verse 23, by faith Moses' parents, that's Amram and Jochebed, that's their names, Amram and Jochebed. Moses' parents had him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no what? No ordinary child. Now, don't all parents say that? <laughs> Sometimes those little babies start out with wings on and later they develop dev- devil's horns. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen as time goes by. But he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict that his Pharaoh had decreed that the male Jewish children be killed. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater what? Greater value or riches. Greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who was invisible. 
By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. So what an amazing story. One or two words you need to underline here. For example, look up at verse 23. What are the first two words? Underline those words. By faith. Look at verse 24, the first two words. What are they? By faith, Moses, the Bible says. Look down at verse 27. What are the first two words? By faith, he left Egypt, the Bible says. Look at verse 28. What does it say, the first two words? By faith, he kept the Passover. So this is a story of one believer's faith and how that made him a man of value, how he added value to God's work, how he added value to his nation, how he added value to his family, and how his life helps us to understand how we too can add value wherever we go. So let me ask you a question right quickly, a little survey question. Are you adding value to your relationships? At work, are you adding value to that job and to that company? Or is there some way you might see in yourself that you're devaluing it? In your friendships, are you adding value to that friendship? Or could you be somehow devaluing it? In your own church, are you adding value by who you are, how you live, and what you do in Christ's name? Or are you devaluing it? God wants you to be a man or a woman of great value to God and to add value every place you go. We're going to talk about some more values in just a few minutes. But first, let's look at Moses. The Bible says that Moses identified with God's people. He identified with them. When they were suffering, he identified with that suffering. He decided it was more important to be a a godly man, that it was to be an Egyptian man. He was steeped in Egyptian teaching, philosophy, and religion. And he didn't suffer there. But when he saw who he really was, he decided to identify with God's people even though they suffered, and he made his life of value. By the way, when you and I choose Christ after God has chosen us by faith, We choose Him by faith, that is. We are to identify with Christ, identify with God's people, identify with the Christian kingdom, and identify with living the Christian life in our world. We are to make it public and known. That's the reason, for example, baptism is a public thing. Worship is a public thing. Carrying the name of Christ is a public thing. What if a man and a woman were going to be married. They said they were deeply in love. And the woman was so excited. They were planning the wedding. And one day she was talking to her fiancé about the wedding. They had just begun to make the plans. And she said, I am so excited about getting married to you. This is going to be the most beautiful wedding. There we are. We're going to be in that big building and all those people out there in the audience, your family and my family, your friends and my friends or co-workers and anybody we want to invite. There may be hundreds of them. 
And there's going to be a videographer. He's going to take the video of it. There's going to be a photographer taking pictures left and right and up and down and all over the place showing us. Then that pastor is going to step up there with that Bible. He's going to bring us together. We're going to face one another and we're going to make those vows before the Lord God Almighty in heaven out loud with our voice. We're going to identify. We're going to come together as one in marriage. I'm so excited. This is not going to be a secret anymore. Everybody's going to know that we're totally committed and we are married. And when we slip those rings on, every place we go, they will know that we are married. He said, well, well, wait a minute. You mean hundreds are going to be there and you might even be videoed and it might even go viral on the internet and, and, and everybody's going to know that I'm married and I'm going to wear this ring and it's going to be public. He wasn't really into this yet. He wasn't fully married in his brain. So he said, let me, let me make a suggestion. Why don't you and I invite the preacher to come in a smaller room with just us three and he can say those vows and we can make our vows in private. We don't have to let everybody know. What kind of a marriage and a wedding and marriage do you think that would be? Marriage is made to be public. And Christianity is made to be public too. We identify with Christ. We identify with godly people. We identify with God's church. And Moses chose to identify even in suffering. Not only that, the Bible tells us that he verified his value to God and value to the people by the fact that he was disgraced. He was disgraced by Egypt. He was run out. He was banished. And yet he decided that the rewards of being a Christian are greater than the rewards of Egypt. He decided that it was better to be with with, uh, God It was better to be with God than it was to be with Pharaoh. And for a Christian, we decide it's better to be with Christ and His church than to be with the world in their secular religion. So he made that decision. He verified that he was going to follow God. He was going to be a believer. He was going to go all out. And even though the Egyptian people may have dissed him, for the grace he sought from God. It was no disgrace to him. It was all grace. It was all good. It was all joyful. It was all powerful that he was following Christ, that he was verifying his faith. You know, sometimes when people uh, diss us for being a Christian in the world or say something about the Jesus Christ we love or the Bible or being in the church, They think they're hurting us and tearing us down. But listen, don't ever feel bad. Don't ever get down on yourself if you get dissed. In fact, Simon Peter said, if you get dissed, get disgraced. If you get put down, then stand up and take glory in it because the glory of God is resting on you because you're being a person of value in the kingdom of God. Has anybody ever put you down for being a Christian? Anybody ever dissed you for being a Christian? 
I've never forgotten the story when I was a young Christian of Porter Barrington. He came to the First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach long, long ago. I was a brand new Christian. You know, I was expecting everything just to flow very smoothly. No problem. Smooth sailing for the rest of my life. I didn't realize then that I was going to have problems, but God would never leave me in my problems. Anyway, Porter Barrington said that when he was a young man, he was so enthusiastic about Christ, and he knew God had called him to preach. So he got an American flag and went to a very difficult place in the community. He put that flag down, he began to preach. And he was expecting unbelievably good things to happen when all of a sudden, splat, a tomato right in the face. What did he do? Cry? Run? Quit? No, he did this. Now, as I was saying, that's what he did. Sometimes you may have to do that too. Moses did it. He was dissed, but his grace life kept on going. Not only was he verifying the faith, he intensified his faith. He intensified it. He even defeated fear. He was fearful for Moses to be the man he was. He was fearful to go against Pharaoh in Egypt. By the way, Egypt in the Bible is a picture of living an ungodly life. And you notice in this account of Moses' life, he left Egypt. That's one thing God wants you and me to do. He wants us to leave Egypt our old way of life, our old way of thinking, our old way of speaking, our old way of relating, and get out of Egypt and get into God's world, God's plan, God's power for your life, even though it might be fearful for us. We uh, always, at various times in our life, have to exercise faith when the fear factor grabs hold of us. And we need that power of faith to overcome fear. I went to a graduation ceremony this week for my granddaughter, Jenna. And I wrote a little card out and I gave her this great little book, The Purpose Driven Life, by Rick Warren. But in my note in the card, I recommended to her 2 Timothy 1.7, one of my favorite verses. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And King James says a sound mind, or the NIV says self-discipline. To me, this ought to be the life verse of every Christian, to defeat fear. And that's what Moses did He defeated fear by faith. By the way, what is faith? Aside from trusting, believing, committing. Those standard truths that we know. You know what faith really is? Faith is holding the right values in life and making the right decisions about those values and taking the right actions based on those values and based on those decisions. That's what faith is. Right values, right decisions, right actions. Now, a lot of people say, yeah, I know the values of the Christian life. A lot of people say, yeah, I've decided I'm going to do this. Well, deciding is one thing, doing is another. One pastor who mentored me long ago used to have this favorite story he told. 
question he asked, really. He would say, there were three frogs sitting on a log. They all three decided to jump. How many jumped? Well, somebody would say, all three. And he would say, well, how do you know? They just decided to jump. I didn't say they jumped. They just said. They decided. A lot of Christians are that way. Yeah, I've made a decision. I'm going to do this. But it's not in deciding it. It's in doing it, isn't it? That was Moses. He was a man who held the right values, made the right decisions, and then he did those decisions that he had decided upon. This is what gives the Christian his value in the world, in the marriage, in the church, in the business. That's what counts. Doing it. And believing. And having the power to intensify your faith when it's necessary. I believe this, I've said it before, but I think that as we grow older, or even when some defining moment strikes us in our mind, and we see something about ourselves we haven't seen before, we might learn about ourselves one of our weaknesses was that we talked a lot of faith, but we really didn't try to do the things our mind and our heart told us to try to do for God or for our family or for our business or for ourselves. We didn't take that daring step of faith led by God and His values, His values for our life. We laid back because we were afraid. The fear factor got us. Faith didn't win the day. God says that Moses intensified his faith and he defeated fear that knocked on the door. My pastor, Dr. Jess Moody, years and years ago, gave this illustration from time to time just to remind us. He said, fear knocked on the door. Faith answered. No one was there. That's what will happen to you too. When you open that door by faith, you can walk through that door. Because God's going to help you overcome the fear. Finally, Moses, who not only identified and verified and intensified his life and faith, he personified the values that he was living by. Now, what does it mean to personify? I don't think any of us has turned to our mate at some point in the past and said, Honey, you personify love. <laughs> I don't think we've ever said that probably. Or said to our son or daughter, Honey, darling, son, you personify craziness. What does it mean to personify something? It means to embody it, to incarnate it. It's all over you. It's all in you. It's all through you. It's running through you. It's stored up in you by the Spirit of God. And you are leaving an influence, an influence that will count because you have been drawn to God. You've been drawn by your, uh, His love of you. And you're letting this life that God wants you to live flow through you and live in you because you have the faith and your faith is going to create an influence. But I want to just tell you something now. 
Moses has left this huge wake and influence over those 120 years he lived. He was the lawgiver. He was a prophet. He led the children of Israel right to the promised land. He guided, some say, almost 2 million people for 40 years in a desert wandering lifestyle as God worked out his plan for them, for those who would believe and those who wouldn't believe. Moses had to do it, and every day he was criticized. Many prayed for him. Many prayed against him. He was just eaten up with leadership. But he valued what God was doing in his life, and he was a value to the world he lived in at that time. He personified faith that works, real faith that really works. He was that man, and he made a difference. But I want to tell you now the last and most important thing about this man, Moses. He was drawn out by God, but it did not look very good for him, did it? What was he drawn out from? The water. How old was he? Three months. Why was he in the water? His mother put him there. Why did she put him there? Because he was going to be murdered. That didn't look very promising. And then he actually took the life of a man at age 40 approximately. That didn't look very good. He was banished from Egypt. That didn't look very good. He was on the backside of the desert for 40 years. That didn't look very good until he met God. That made the difference. It's not your circumstances that makes a difference. It's you and Jesus. It's you and Christ. It's you and your faith. It's you and your values. And here we are in America. We are having a train wreck of values. Maybe you can help be the one who makes a difference in your world. What are the things we are devaluing in America? What are the values we need to keep in America? One value that America needs to keep always is the revelation that God has given to us of Himself. God has revealed Himself in nature and in the Bible and by the Holy Spirit. Now, unfortunately, there are millions of people who devalue God or say He doesn't exist. They devalue the Bible. They devalue the power of the Holy Spirit. And for that reason, they will never be anything but ordinary people unable to see what God wants them to see. Another thing we ought to value in America that we're devaluing It's not just God's revelation, but God's creation. God made people. He made them male and female. There's a movement in America to devalue the male. They say that's happening because the male has devalued the female. It's a war zone for some, not for all, but for some. And that's going to cause a tremendous devaluing of the quality of American life because when men and women begin to fight instead of love, our culture and our society is heading over the waterfall. We must value the fact that God created man and God created woman and then what did He do? He brought them together to become one and make a life, make a family, and make a world. We must value what God's created. 
and what God has brought about. And in that area of life, we must value the birth of every little person in mom's womb. We cannot devalue a human life. We can't stand up in the name of false science and say, no, it's not really anybody in there. It's false science. We must say what science says and what God says and what common sense says. When a woman conceives, there's a person in there given by God. And if we value God and if we value life, we will value what God has created and that will make a difference in us. So the Bible tells us that we are to value the revelation of God, the creation of God, and the manifestation of God's power in a human being's life in the area of integrity, love, peace, talents, and skills, and use them for God's glory in the world that we live in. And finally, value the culmination of all history because Christ is going to return. There's going to be a summing up, a bringing together of all things at some point in the future where God's going to open the doors into the future and let us see what really is happening in the world of God and the world of man. So ladies and gentlemen, I ask you this question now in closing. It's kind of a sticky question. Remember when I started out, I asked you if you were going to be a Teflo listener or Velcro. How have you done so far? Well, you're probably like me when I listen to messages. Somehow, some way, I kind of gloss over what I don't want to hear. But I grab what I do want to hear. But sometimes the things I don't want to hear are the most important things I'm listening to. So here's my question to you. In your life, are you adding value? Or are you devaluing because of who you are at this moment? Is God able to count upon you to be useful, to be faithful, to be fruitful in the place you live at home and at work in your church? Are you bringing value to God and are you allowing God to work His valuable work in you? That's an important point. Is God able to do His valuable work of changing your life and mind and heart because you are a willing, willing follower? What a question to ask. So I want to leave it with you. I'm going to say a brief prayer. And when I've said the amen, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to reflect and ask yourself what God wants you to know and hear and take home from our message today. But first, let me pray with us and for us before you take those few minutes of reflection. Dear Father, thank you for valuing us. Our life counts before you. Help us to value ourselves, our role, our purpose in life. Help us to see that we add value to others when we value you and value ourselves. And Lord, if we've been a devaluer, help us to repent of this sin and bring it out clear and clean and seek forgiveness and be filled afresh and anew by your Holy Spirit to be a true, unordinary Christian of great value and fruitfulness and faithfulness. Lord, help us to do it by faith and overcome our fears. In Jesus' name.
Amen and amen. Now, if you will, put your Bibles aside.